And one of the things that we do in the classroom, in addition to teaching them principles from God's Word, especially in the beginning part, we're just kind of getting to know each other, people are filing in. We play uh, a game, typically, and, and I like to play the, the card game Uno. I'm a fan of Uno. I want to talk about it for a minute. I went over to Walmart to pick up a pack of Uno cards to use as a visual, but the problem is, is they were out of the kind that's on the screen behind me. All they had was the Barbie version of Uno. <laughs> so at this point, I was faced with a decision, all right? Am I going to go all over town looking for the regular Uno cards, or am I going to be secure enough in who you know, I am as a man and believe that Living Water is a safe place for me to carry around Barbie cards. One person has made fun of me this morning, okay? So it may not be that safe around here. No, nah, it was a good friend. But yes, uh, I have some Barbie cards here. And, and what I want to do, um, kids, imagine with me that we're playing Uno, like, like we usually do. Uh, Krista and Rachel, we were just playing a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's a fun thing to do. Say there's about five or six of us in this game. Except there's a, there's a new kid. There's a new kid. He's visiting from another church. Uh, let, let's give him a name. Let's call him Billy. Okay, Billy's part of our game. And, and as we're playing, uh, it becomes your turn. And you, if you played Uno before, you look at the cards in your hand and you realize you cannot play any of those cards. So what do you have to do? You have to draw a card. And you realize you can't play that card either. So... You look to the person to your left because play now resumes around the table. But this is where Billy chimes in. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. You need to keep drawing until you get a card that you can play. And, and you're like, no, no, no. That, that's not how to play the game. So, uh-oh, we have a disagreement here. And my question to you is, who's right? Now, you might say, well, I feel like I'm right. I mean, my opinion is, is that you draw one card and that's it, okay? I, I feel very strongly about that. I'm 100% sure that's how the game is played. But Billy comes back and he says, well, I'm 100% sure that you're wrong, that my way of playing is the correct way to play the game. So in this battle of opinions back and forth, have, have we resolved anything? We haven't. Uh, it's just opinions flying across the table. So you try a different approach. You say, Billy, we have always played this way. This is, this is how we play here. And, and you are going to uh, help strengthen your argument by appealing to everybody in the game. And you ask them, isn't this how we always play? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. But Billy comes back. He says, see, over at my church, if I gathered all my friends together, they would tell you, that we always have played it my way. So that's not going to resolve the dispute either. So you try one last approach. You're going to make an appeal to an authority. You're going to look to the authority figure in the room. That's me, Mr. Mike. And you're going to say, Mr. Mike, do we draw one card or do we keep drawing? And my response is, you draw one card. To which you will turn to Billy and say, told you, because that's what kids do, right? They did it when I was a kid, still out there, told you, told you so. But, but Billy says, well, see, he, he's a tenacious one, this Billy. He's like, over at my church, my teacher, Mr. Mark, he says, 
you keep drawing cards. So we have not gotten anywhere in resolving this disagreement. So what's the answer? Who's right? Is it you or is it Billy? Is it Mr. Mike or is it Mr. Mark? Well, you were on the right track when you made an appeal to an authority. But the problem is you didn't go far enough. Okay, I have some authority in the classroom, theoretically. Some days I don't feel like I have much because they're running crazy. But I'm an authority to some degree, but I'm not the ultimate authority on the rules of UNO. So the answer is not Mr. Mike or Mr. Mark. Who has ultimate authority when it comes to UNO? It's actually Mattel. Who's Mattel? Mattel are the creators of the game of UNO. And by virtue of being the ones who have created the game, they get to decide. And whatever they say goes. So the question at this point is, has Mattel spoken on this matter? Do we have any revelation from Mattel that would help settle the dispute once and for all? And we do. If you open up the box of Barbie Uno cards and you pull them out, there's going to be something in there called the instructions. And if you open up the instructions and you read, that's the Spanish side. I only had two years of Spanish in middle school, so that's not going to cut it. All right. It says right here under the uh, gameplay part, if you don't have a card that matches the one on the discard pile, you must take a card from the draw pile. If the card you picked up can be played, you are free to put it down in the same turn. Otherwise, play moves on to the next person in turn. There you go. Mattel has spoken. End of discussion. The debate is over. You win. So instead of just voicing your opinion or try to get the other kids on your side, kind of a majority rules type of thing, you should have just gone to the ultimate source and say, thus says Mattel. You draw only one card, okay? There's no mention of your rule about continually drawing cards Therefore, you have erroneously gone beyond what is written, and you should not do that. And you can slam it down like a domino because you just won the debate. We must go to the ultimate authority. So what does this have to do with anything? Do we come to church to learn about UNO and how to play it correctly? No. There's, there's a method to the madness. And before I explain that, let me just briefly say that... Um, I, as a, a director of outreach, I get to do a lot of fun things. And, and one of the latest outreach efforts is to uh, go hang out down at um, Greenfield uh, Assisted Living, right down on Dairy Street. Uh, I go in there every Friday morning. Uh, I spend an hour with the folks there. No one is under the age of 85 in our little Bible study. And I just love it. Like, I've inherited, like, eight really sweet grandmas. I mean, they... They are, it's hard to, to, to really be in a bad mood around these folks. And I, and I said to them, I said, hey, I'm preaching this weekend. And it's kind of this family worship thing. Uh, can I share my introduction with you? I said, I, I want to try it out on you. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So I, I, I gave them this whole thing. And, and, and they go, we play, we, we always keep drawing cards. <laughs> like, like I've come with a rebuke or something. They're all ashamed. I'm like, it's okay when it comes to a card game to play that way. It's only a card game. 
But they're like, no, we don't like the way we play because you got to keep drawing. The game might last like two hours. You know, I'm holding all these cards in my hand and my arthritis is flaring up. We like what you have to offer. We're going to go talk to Jennifer, the activities director. So I've caused a huge stir down at Greenfield Assisted Living. They don't have a lot to get up in arms about. Uno is very important to them. They want to play it properly. Like, well, as long as everybody agrees, it's okay. But what's the parallel that I'm trying to draw here? It's okay to have variations of Uno. And as I was doing some research, there's loads of them. There's all kinds. I learned about stacks, which some kids play. I never played stacks before. There's birthday suit Uno, which is not appropriate for this uh, setting right now. But there's all kinds of ways to play Uno. But when it comes to the big questions of life, life and death and heaven and hell, and, and the purpose and meaning of why we're here, we got all these people with all kinds of opinions and views and perspectives. And well, I think, you know, the answer is this. So what do we need to do? When we're talking about the big questions of life, we have to go to the creator of life for the answers. God himself. And ask, has God spoken on these matters? He has. It's called the Holy Bible, the Scriptures, God's Word. Okay, But the problem is, not everybody believes it. Let me give you a, a real-life example. Like I said, I get to go places and, and talk to people, and I really, really enjoy it. And There's places like Greenfield, and I also go to Bethesda Mission twice a, a month and, and lead a chapel service. So it's a Bible study, open up the Word of God with the guys down there, and I really enjoy that as well. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was up there doing my thing, and, and a guy way in the back started yelling at me. And we have some people that are here to be able to validate if this story's true or not. And he's yelling, so I come on, I'm like, sir, did, did you want to say something? And he goes, yeah, you keep quoting from that book. You keep telling us what the God of that book says. And I said, yes, sir, that, that, that's my objective here. That's my plan. I'm not here to give my opinion or my perspective. I'm going to tell you what God has said. And he says, yeah, but what you need to understand, though, is that there are millions of gods. You're just giving us one God's perspective. So the question is at this point, do we have a disagreement? We absolutely do, right? I, I believe what the scriptures say. There is only one, there is only one, okay? Right? We, we believe what the Bible says. The Lord our God is one. There are no other gods. So it's like he's saying, you keep drawing cards, and I'm saying, no, you only draw one card. So we got a disagreement here. So let me pause for a moment, and I'd like to ask the adults that are present here, what would you do if you were in my shoes? You're in my shoes. You're, you're explaining uh, the passage of Scripture that we were in. Somebody calls out to you and flatly contradicts what God's Word says in front of about 30 other guys. What would you do? I suspect many people would say something along, along the lines of, you know, that's fine, sir. Uh, you, you have your opinion and you're entitled to it. Uh, you have your opinion, I have mine. Let's just agree to disagree and move on. 
And I understand that. I, I, I really do understand that. It, it, it's true. He does have an opinion, and it's true that he's entitled to it. And this is America, after all. We are remembering those men and women who fought and bled and died so that we could have that freedom. And I'm grateful for that. So he's entitled to that opinion, but the reality is beliefs have consequences. Just like if you said to me, hey, uh, Mr. Mike, uh, I believe that I can jump off the roof of this building and fly like Peter Pan. I, I'm not going to say, you have your belief, go with that, okay? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to say in a very loving uh, yet, maybe using some strong language, my friend, have you lost your mind? Okay, You cannot fly in and of yourself. At minimum, you're going to break some bones. Don't do it. Repent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach repentance to you, to persuade you to change your mind. Why would I do that? Because I don't want to see you get hurt. That's why. Now, I know those situations may not be perfect parallels, but you know every analogy kind of limps to some degree. But the reality is, this man who said that, he, he believes in millions of gods. And based upon some of the other things that he was saying, I, I can assume that he's not a believer in Jesus. He's not worshiping the one true God for whom he was made and that he will someday stand before. And so, if I care about that man's eternal soul, I'm not just going to say that's fine, okay? Because I care about him. I'm going to engage with him. And not even to mention for the, the benefit of the 30 other guys that are present who may walk away thinking that there are millions of gods. You know, so I'm not looking for a fight. You know, I'm not going to go get the guy in a headlock until he confesses sound doctrine. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. There will be no violence. But at minimum, I'm going to ask him a question. And so the question that I asked this man was, where do you get your information? You know, I could have asked it this way. I could have said, how did you come to that conclusion? See, what does that question do? That, that forces him to examine his authority. He, he believes that way for some reason. Somebody told him that. He just made it up in his mind. He's his own authority. That belief comes from somewhere. What is informing his beliefs? That's what I'm trying to get at. Because if he asked me, why do you believe there's one God? Because God said. That's why. That's my answer. I'll go back to quoting Scripture to him, not my own opinion. So I'm forcing him to consider his authority. And when you do that and you ask people that question, where do you get your information? How did you come to that bizarre conclusion? Maybe you don't want to say that. You know, how, how did you come to the, the, the conclusion that you've reached when it goes against the Scripture? What, what are you using? And when you ask that question, for many people, the answer falls into one or two categories. And basically, the first one is, I just think that. I just, it's mere opinion. I just, I just believe that. I made it up in my mind. And we can do all kinds of crazy things in our mind. So they either say that, or they say, it was just the way that I was raised. An appeal to tradition. Let's deal with each of those very briefly. Mere opinion. You just made it up. Just, I think there ought to be millions of gods. Okay. Well, are you always right? Do you not make mistakes like I make mistakes? I make mistakes all the time. 
I found out that I'm wrong when I was convinced that I was right. Because I, I get things wrong left and right, and I bet if you're honest, so do you. And the God of the Bible acknowledges this truth. He says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Your, your opinion might just lead you off a cliff. Proverbs talks about there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so I think we have to do better than, but that's just my opinion. I wouldn't want to hang my eternity on, eh, you know, it just seems right to me. Okay, very dangerous place to be. So the other one is, uh, you know, I believe what I believe because it's just the way I was raised. This is basically the mama told me response. Mama said, that's, that's why I believe the way I believe. Now, I love mama as much as the next guy, okay? Moms, I love you, all right? I do not mean to offend. I don't know that I'd make this point on Mother's Day uh, out of respect, but I need to say, mama's not always right, okay? Some things mama's got down, like, you know, always wear clean underwear, uh, sit up straight, elbows off the table, chew with your mouth closed. Mama's nailed those, okay? But when it comes to the big questions of life, Neither mama nor daddy always have it right. And I say that as a dad, okay? And I would tell my own kids that. I'd say, kids, I'm not infallible. I make mistakes. God is the opposite, though. He never makes a mistake. You can trust him. Go to the ultimate authority. Now, I need, kids, I need to get your attention here for a minute. In no way am I giving you permission to disobey mom and dad, Okay? When mom says, go clean your room, I don't want you invoking my name, all right? Well, Mr. Mike said, mama told me isn't exactly the best reliable source, okay? Uh, no, don't you dare do that. You will get me in all sorts of trouble. Listen to mom and dad. When it comes to that stuff, they're right on the money, okay? But when we ask the big questions of life, we need to go beyond mom and dad. Go beyond Mr. Mike, right? We need to go to the creator of life, the God of the scriptures. And I'm here to tell you, he's alive and well, and he cares about you and me, and he has spoken. Just like Mattel has their instruction manual, he has one as well. It's just a little thicker, that's all. And so the question at this point is, can we trust it? That's a popular question people ask. Well, you keep quoting the Bible. You keep saying we ought to listen to the Bible. How do I know that what's in there is trustworthy? Very fair question. There's nothing wrong with that question to ask from an honest and sincere heart. So in order to establish that the Bible is authoritative, we must define a couple of words first. And this is where you can go to your sermon guide on the left side says, what words were defined? I'm going to give you two right here. They're both shun words. Revelation and inspiration. Let's start with revelation first. When I say revelation, if you know your Bible, I'm not necessarily referring to the, the book in the back there, the book of revelation. That is revelation, but I mean something bigger. I mean God has spoken. Revelation is God speaks. He communicates with us. And he reveals himself. He reveals his heart and his mind and his will to us. 
You hear the word reveal and revelation. That's what he's doing. And you read that time and time again, right from Genesis 1. What do you read? And God said. Over 400 times in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. Our God communicates with us. And I would just add, aren't you glad for revelation? I think this is an outworking of some of the attributes of God. That's on the right side of your sermon guide, by the way. Attributes of God, loving, circle that one. Is it not loving that he talks to us? Right? He doesn't have to give us the time of day. You need to figure it all out. Just leave it up to us. No, he tells us. That's very loving. Next to loving is the word worthy. If you write really small, you can fit the word trust in there. He's trustworthy. Go ahead and circle that as well. Because if we didn't have revelation, what would our world look like? A bunch of people just running around. What do you think about such and such? I don't know. What do you think? Where, where did all this come from? Beats me. What are we supposed to be doing while we're here on earth? Your guess is as good as mine. Is there life after death? Don't know. Maybe. It would be a world of confusion. A philosophical free-for-all. And you might be saying, Mike, that, that sort of sounds like the world we live in. And I wouldn't argue with you. Why? Because people have rejected revelation. They act as if God has not spoken. And if you reject divine revelation, what you end up with is human speculation. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's why we need to understand the second shun word, that is inspiration. When we say inspiration, it's not like you're standing in an art museum and you're looking at a painting on the wall and you say, ah, this painting inspires me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying something greater than that. In biblical terms, inspiration means God breathed. Okay, It's a metaphor that the scriptures use that God has breathed out truth to these human authors to write exactly what he wanted them to write. The go-to text on this is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is up on the screen. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking to a young man by the name of Timothy. It's really verse 16, but it's always dangerous to just drop in without getting some context. So let's back it up to verse 14. It says this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's our context there. The sacred writings, a reference to the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here it is. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That's your inspiration right there. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'd love to go into a long excursion on the sufficiency of Scripture that's mentioned there. We don't have time. But people will say, the Bible was written by man. Have you not heard that? Oh man, I've heard that. Bible was written by man. Well, in a sense, they're right. I mean, what I just read was Bible written by a man named Paul to another man named Timothy. So in a sense, they're right, but Paul is saying so much more here. 
He's saying the words that I'm writing here, they're, they're scripture, they're God-breathed. They come from God, just like the entirety of the Old Testament. They're not just my own thoughts. They find their origin in God. He's the ultimate author. And to see how God did this, we look to another man, another biblical writer by the name of Peter, who was also inspired of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that's what we're talking about, Scripture, comes from someone's own interpretation. They're not just making it up. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who's active and directing the entire project. He's moving these people along to write exactly what he wants us to know. And that's what we have in our Bibles. So to establish authority, we, it's built upon the fact that God speaks, revelation, and that those words are inspired, they come from Him, and they're recorded and written down for us. That's inspiration, and you end up with an authoritative document that is absolutely true and completely trustworthy. Just like it says in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you just read that, uh, sit down, you need some time. It's very, very long, okay? But time and time again, it, it speaks about the Word and the truthfulness of it. I like verse 160. The sum, the total, all of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. See, often we, we want to go to outside sources, these external sources to back up the trustworthiness of the Bible. Things like archaeological evidence, uh, scientific evidence, manuscript evidence, all these historical things that we can say, well, it's historically accurate. And, and don't get me wrong, those are all fine and good, and every one of those does support what the Scriptures say. They're, they've never done a dig and they found something and said, oh, this, this contradicts the Scriptures. Never once, and they never will. But my, my caution to you is, if we, if we look to those other things, if, say, you're all about to, I need to see that it, the Bible is supported through archaeological evidence. Is, is the Bible really your ultimate authority, or is it the archaeological evidence that is? What, is? what is validating what here? And I'm saying if you have something else in place of your ultimate authority, then the ultimate authority that you claimed is not your ultimate authority. It's actually the thing that you put in place of it. So I'm saying we start with the Scriptures and we look at these other things that line up underneath it. They are subservient to that, to the fact that God wrote it. Okay, And just like some of the internal evidences, we can look within the pages of Scripture and see prophetic evidence. God says this is going to happen. Well, guess what? God knows all things. Is that going to happen? He cannot lie. It happens exactly the way he said it would happen. Right? We have the unity of the Bible, the uniqueness of the Bible, the truthfulness of the Bible. And we look at that and we can say, yes, we can trust this book. But those are all good and helpful, but they work in harmony with things like revelation and inspiration and, must be mentioned, the presence and aid of the Holy Spirit dwelling within. So when you talk about this stuff with people, especially unbelievers, 
they come at it from an intellectual standpoint. Like this is, an, this is a cognitive thing in our mind that we're discussing. And, and, and I don't think that's exactly right. Okay, that's part of it. But this is actually a spiritual issue. And let me explain what I mean by that. Okay, people who reject the authority of the Bible, they do not have the spiritual ears to hear, the spiritual eyes to see, or the Holy Spirit dwelling within. Didn't Jesus always say, those who have ears to hear? Some people just don't have the ears to hear, and they're going to reject it, and it'll be foolishness to them. Just like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person, that is the person without the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolish. And he is not able to understand them because they are intellectually discerned? No. They are spiritually discerned. They don't have an intellectual problem. They have a spiritual problem. And so I would say to the skeptic, and perhaps we have some here today. We had one last night. Came up to me afterwards. Love that conversation. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm kind of a skeptic at heart. You know, we would, we would get along well. Okay, that's why I like this stuff. Okay, but keep coming. Keep hearing this word. And I pray that God would give you the ears to hear and that he would change your, your view. He would change your mind because that's really the response to the skeptic. It ought to be repent. <laughs> repent quite literally means change your mind. Abandon all those other authorities that conflict with the word of God and trust what God has said. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I don't have it on the screen. Sorry, I just thought of it. It, um, it says that it's repentance that leads you to a knowledge of the truth. And when you talk with an unbeliever, aren't they usually saying, well, you need to convince me that it's true, then I'll repent. Whoa, you got it backwards. God says, the reason you're not understanding it is you haven't repented. You need to repent first. Turn from sin, come to Christ, and live, and you will be given the understanding that you are seeking. So as we bring this to a close, uh, let me just comment about how foundational this is. I don't know that, that a more foundational message could be given. Why? Because if you're in this room, and, and Pastor Mike is standing right where I'm standing, and he's preaching on marriage, He's given you principles to apply in your marriage. Do you know where he's getting those principles from? Not some book in our library downstairs. He's getting it from the Holy Bible. That's where he gets those principles. And if you say, well, that's not where I get my information. The Bible's not my authority. Well, how likely is it that you're going to put into practice the principles that he's sharing? You won't because you get your information elsewhere. And you ought to get it from the one who invented marriage, God. And your marriage will suffer because of it. Student ministry, young people, right? Middle school, high school, downstairs, they're teaching on purity, right? From the scriptures. But you, as a, as a student, you're, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm not buying what Pastor James and Harry and them are saying. Uh, I'd rather listen to the, the crew I run with. You know, they're always hollering YOLO. Right? You only go around once, man. Just live it up. You know, purity? What are you, a Puritan? Nobody does purity anymore. Well, if you listen to those voices, if, if, if that's where you get your information, 
you're going to go and do all the immoral things that they do, and it will lead to a lot of pain and destruction. And I'm trying to save you some pain here today. Lastly, little kids down in the block, we're telling you, honor mom and dad. Obey them, okay? Despite all that stuff I said about mama told me. All right? We do tell them, listen to you guys, okay? Listen, you, tr trust what mom and they, they they want what's best for you. And if they're teaching from the scriptures, God wants what's best for you. You should listen to them. But if you say, well, you know what? I'm my own authority. I, after all, I'm six years old. I, I've been on this planet a whole six years. What are they, 36? Like, what's 30 years, right? Like, I know as much, if not more, than they do. I should be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want, all that. Well, you know what? Things are not going to go well for you. That's what the Bible says. And I'm trying to get you to understand that God wants what's best for you. So do mom and dad, and so do I. So the question for all of us here today, where do you get your information? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for revelation. Thank you for inspiration. I'm so glad that you uh, communicate with us, that we're not left out to figure things out on our own uh, because, Lord, you know we make mistakes left and right. We get things wrong and we need an infallible source that we can run to and trust. And you are that infallible source. Your word says you cannot lie. It goes against who you are, your character, and your nature. So we can trust what has been revealed to us in the pages of our Bible. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, read that word, that we would open it up and say, God, speak to me. Speak into my life, even if it's painful. Even if it's, the, like, like it says in Timothy there, it's for reproof and for correction and for training that we would submit our own perspectives, opinions, thoughts, viewpoints to your word. And then we would live accordingly to bring all glory and honor to your name.